0: Welcome to the Radicards podcast and Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and today I have Brian Hayes joining me again for this episode. It's the same old routine as before. Three questions, five minutes each. Let's just dive right into it here. Question number one, when does it make sense not to care about condition flaws on trading cards? So, you know, the whole thing with me on this is that the rarer the card, the less I care about condition flaws. So if like I never see a card, it's just, it's just you know, I come across cross listing every five, 10 years, like... And I see one; it's got a dinged corner. I'll take it. It's got a refractor line. I'll take it. It's got like a ding, like an edge, like imperfect, imperfect edge. There's like some chipping. If it's like a platinum medallion or something, I'll take it. There's really not a lot that I'll say no to. If it's like got a fold in the middle of it, that that's that would be heartbreaking. But luckily, I don't see too much of that stuff. I'm very flexible. If it's a low grade, it comes out like a you know PSA six. I'll take it. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, it's a six. I'm like, yeah, but it's the only one don't you just wait wait around then for another copy. It's a one of one, you know? It's that's the whole that's the whole argument, right? That uh, one of ones that come to you and slabbed, you know, BGS five or PSA six, and then people complain about the condition. I'm like, it's, but it's the only one. It's the only one. Like, you know, there's no there's no waiting around for a better copy of this card. So Brian, talk to me about your thoughts on this and when there have been situations when you've looked at a card, like, gosh, I don't even care that it's, you know, this low grade or it has a condition flaw. And what's on your mind?
1: Uh, yeah, sure, Patrick. Um, so first of all, I totally agree with you that, you know, generally speaking, the rarer a card is, the, the less I care about condition flaws. Um, I think that's makes a lot of sense to, to most collectors out there. Um, you know, if a, if a card is rare and hard to come by, you sort of, um, you sort of act and obtain that card uh, w- when you can, cause you just never know when you're gonna see see that card again. So definitely agree with you there. And then sort of coming at this from a different angle, probably um, if if there's a card that I really like and um, you know I know it's for me and it's for my PC and it's gonna be with me for a long time, I, I tend to care maybe um, a little bit less about the condition flaws because you know once again it's I'm collecting for myself and if I'm happy Uh, As long as the the card has an overall good, um, you know, appearance, um, you know, it has a nice presence. Usually, you know, nice and centered. But you know, I'll definitely, you know, accept some condition flaws in those scenarios. But if I have a card that I think I want to turn around and sell someday, um, you know, then I I tend to look at the the condition a little bit more carefully because I just know that a lot of collectors are um, you know, they're very strict on what cards they will accept in, into their collection. And when I'm selling a card, I want to just make sure that I have as wide a collector base as possible to sell the card to. Um, so if I'm sort of thinking down the, the road a little bit, I'll probably pay a little bit more attention to the, the conditions of the card. Like obviously with my own PC, I have my own standards and because I tend to collect rare cards, you know, just sort of going back to the first point now, like I've got a lot of cards that are rare, but not, you know, in mint condition or close to mint condition. But they they still have a nice appearance, and that's that's good enough for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of great black bordered one of one Bowman parallels from the last ten years that have graded out well below tens. And honestly, I don't seven. I'm happy with a seven six. I'll take it. You know, because it's just. I can I can scan that card in and make it look amazing, and it doesn't have to be a perfect example of the card. There are a lot of cards like that. I picked up a 2000 uh, finest gold refractor, Johan Santana. It's a BGS eight, but it looks like it looks like a nine, ten. It looks really great. It just has great presentation value to it, so I I, I can live with it. And you know you save a few bucks too, because a nine five sells for like three hundred bucks, and eight sells for like a hundred. So you save a few bucks for these like minor condition differences. Oftentimes you don't even really notice the the change, right? It's such a such a like a trivial flaw that it, it's it doesn't really matter. But again, I'm just happy to find the card. Like if this is the only example I ever find, obviously if the print runs quite a bit larger, let's say it's like to 55 or 60, let's just say, um, and there's a slight condition flaw on it, let's say there's a refractor line, I can live with it because the card is so uncommon. I never see this card. I'm willing to work. To get that card even though it's not exactly perfect but if it's you know it looks like a seven or an eight that's good enough for me and honestly if it were a five or a six i'd probably be fine with it too it's just that i, I think that there are certain times it's okay to be lenient on conditions and not worry about trivialities like that so i want to touch on yeah, that one
1: yeah and just one other quick thought on this sure um you know i i often find i'm sure a lot of us have as well like for a lot of cards that are so-called you know A PSA 10, I mean they are a PSA 10. If you actually look at them closely um, You can see they have just as many um, obvious flaws as like many PSA 9s and so um, Sometimes I sort of consider like when a third-party grading company grades the card I sort of use that as a starting point as Mm -hmm. to whether or not I want to add that card to my collection but then when you start looking at the the details yourself you you can see like uh, PSA 10s PSA 9s like the cards themselves They appear to have like the same flaws and so in those kind of cases I'll usually just go down to the PSA like nine if it presents really well and and save that money. And then usually, you know, I'll have extra money to go after other cards and I sort of build my collection that way.
0: I like that. I like that. It's a good close to that one. All right. So, point two. Now, recently, a 1993 finest uh, base card of Mike Piazza sold in a graded case that indicated it as a refractor. And it was being sold as a refractor. Now I don't know if the seller knew or didn't know, or for one of the assistants of that seller listed as a refractor, they didn't know one way or another. There's no way for me to to point fingers here. There's no. It's not fair. All I know is that it was listed as a refractor and it collected hundreds of dollars. Now I've always been the type that's been like buyer beware, caveat emptor, learn as much as you can about what you buy. You know, the only person who's at fault on the purchasing is you if you buy something that's you know, uh, erroneous in some way or inauthentic or illegitimate. It's, it's just up to the buyer. It, if it's intentional, obviously, to misrepresent something on the seller, that's the seller's problem. But to fend against misrepresentation, you learn as much about what you're going to buy as possible so you can make the best purchasing decision. Um, when you find stuff like this, Brian, does, when you come across it, are you ever prompted to share this information with the community? Be like, hey, by the way, this is a base card. Or, hey, by the way you know this isn't this parallel or hey this isn't just the platinum this is something more important than the platinum <laughs> you know at at what it was when, at when when are you prompted uh what what's is it card significance that prompts it or um something you collect or maybe something you don't collect because you don't you're not going to pull in the competitors tell me what's on your mind
1: yeah so for me like if i happen to see something like that maybe online like i'm browsing through in auction house or eBay, or maybe I see something on Instagram mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: that that's not my card. I'll probably like mentally note it um, and say, huh, that's interesting. Something here looks like it got mislabeled. Um, but probably not. I mean, quite frankly, or quite honestly, I'm probably not going to just like go out of my way to sort of reach out to others and say, you know, this something fishy or not, uh, is going on with this card or the label doesn't right. align with the card. But if it's my card, like, um, and I purchased it and I am showcasing it, Online or I am selling it, then I'm definitely going to be as explicit uh, as, as I can and explain what we're looking at and why the the, the label doesn't match with the, the card and uh, where the, the mistake would be. Um, and if it's a significant enough card, then I would probably, if it's mine, um, a, at some point I would get it uh, re- reholdered. I would send it back to you know the, the grading company, PSA, BGS, uh, w- whatever, wherever I decide, and to get it fixed and straightened out, just so. Um, you know, there's less um, room for um, misunderstanding going forward.
0: I think it's fair. I mean, truly, I think it's not my responsibility to, to tell the market, "Hey, this is or isn't this what's stated." You know, but sometimes, every now and then, I run across someone's like, "Somebody's gonna be out a lot of money," and that that's upsetting. So, for example, some months ago, I caught uh, on on eBay a um, an auction for the 1990 upper deck Reggie Jackson auto, but I realized it was just a base card that somebody had, you know, added in his autograph and the serial number. Okay. The difference, the way you can tell that is that the 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 shape of the hologram on the card's reverse will indicate if it's the pack issued autograph or not. A circle hologram will indicate the pack issued base card without the autograph on it. A diamond shape hologram will indicate that it's pack issued autographed. This one had the circle hologram, which indicated it was at one point just a standard base card. But it had an autograph and a serial number on the front. So I just let people know. I was like, hey, by the way, this isn't the pack-issued example. Just a heads up. I didn't say it was fake. I didn't mention any of those words. I just said, you know, if you're bidding on this, just be aware that this is the pack-issued card. This may have been in-person signed. It may not have. But I can guarantee you that that serial number was added later after market.
1: You know, that that's actually a really good um, topic to bring up. So... If you're talking about like autographs or maybe like even even like trimmed cards, like if I saw something maybe under those situations, like where I'm browsing and I can see something that has um, been trimmed, like somehow, like maybe I don't know, I've had uh, that card before and I see like I've sold it and then like I see it online and it looks different. Like if I somehow know that it's trimmed, I have evidence of it or I, I, I know that a autograph is fake. I think under those circumstances, even if it's not my card, that would probably prompt me to met, um, send out a message somewhere um, to the hobby community. Instagram probably is where I would start. And I think under that situation, it's a it's a little bit different. I feel like that people have definitely had like nefarious intentions in mind when they do stuff like that. Sometimes with a label that's wrong like by PSA, it might just be an honest mistake. Um, I don't think they're out there to try to trick anyone or fool anyone. They're just an impartial grading service. That's sort of why I I feel like not necessarily like the the responsibility to go out to the community and say, this is what's going on. Unless once again, it's my card, but definitely some of this other stuff, I I do feel like that sort of crosses the line. And if I see that, you know, trying to help the community out here, we're all supposed to be looking out for each other. Definitely in those situations I would uh, reach out. Now that said, um, I've never actually been in that situation. Like I, you know, don't, you know, I've sort of focused in on my collection a lot of times and what I'm doing. And so I've never sort of been in that position, but I feel like that's what I would do.
0: Yeah. And you know, you have to be careful about slander. You don't want to bring company names into it when you don't have all the facts, you don't know what's what. So I keep all that, that out of it. I never point fingers. I never say they did this. They did. I I don't do any of that. I just say, Hey, by, by the way, this isn't this, right? You, You take from it what you will, right? Like, do, 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 talk amongst yourselves at that point. So, you know, I just want to touch on that because I see a lot of, not a lot, I mean, the percentage is pretty small overall, but every now and then I'll come across, I'm like, hey, that's like someone coming, hey, it did, you know, is this a legitimate Frank Thomas out of it? I was like, well, somebody signed that card. It wasn't Frank Thomas, you know, like I yep. see that stuff, um, but I'm not pointing fingers at any one person, I'm not pointing fingers at the seller or anything. I just, you know, I'm looking at the object for what it is, what the, the actual item the collectible, so to speak, and talking about that and nothing else. So I want to touch on that just flat out. Final point here, you know, in a previous podcast we discussed a uh, an Albert Pujols 2002 tops Chrome Black refractor that apparently sold for twenty four thousand six hundred dollars. And then you know immediately thereafter, very predictably, another one was listed by another seller and they wanted twenty four thousand five hundred opening bid. So you save a hundred dollars by bidding on this other copy. Mind you, you can get the 2001 Bowman-Chromato for less than this dollar figure, right? 2002 was Albert Pujols' sophomore year, his all-star rookie year. So the question became during that last podcast, will we see any bids on this second example? And sure enough, no bids. None. And so not I, I'm not surprised by that. In fact, I don't even know if the first auction was legitimate. There's no way for me to identify that at at all. And I'm not going to spend any time investigating because quite frankly, I don't care. It created an imperfect perception of market value. And so with this second auction that came around, I didn't anticipate any action. So I wasn't surprised we saw no bids. Like I said, realistically at auction, I think sub 2000, sub two is where I'm looking like realistically somewhere between 12 and 15 is really where I'm feeling it. Uh, Maybe a little more, Give or take. So when I see something that's just so backwards to me, I, I have to talk about it. Now, Brian, tell me, did you expect to see any bids on the second listing?
1: I did not. Like um the first one's the first closing number was so high that it just didn't seem likely that the second one wouldn't. So I wasn't surprised at all. But I will say this. I don't find I don't have any problem with the owner of the second card putting their, their, their card out there and seeing what would happen. There's All there's right. no harm. There's no harm in trying. Like they, they might, they might be just like us saying, Hey, you know, another copy of this card sold for some really crazy amount. Um, I've got this card and, uh, you know, I might be able to turn this into, you know, a really nice gain. Um, and so they're just trying and said, Hey, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then I, you know, I still have a, a really great card. The card itself is gorgeous.
0: It is. It really um, is.
1: It's such a great card. And so maybe that's sort of what they're, they're, um, their mindset was like, Hey, it doesn't hurt to try. And let's see if there's somebody else out there. Um, you know, and so it, it sort of comes back to what you were saying be- before about like sort of buyer beware. If someone had come to the second card and like, you know, bid on it for that really high amount, then, you know, they just sort of, you know, were, we're, taking this one piece of information, how this first copy sold for a high amount and said, Hey, the card must be worth this much. You know, this is how much it's going to co- uh, cost to bring the, the card home. Uh, but that didn't happen. And so, um, you know, it just I I think uh this is an example of how the markets, all markets kinda of work is like there's a, a price sold and people have that information and they, they make their decisions off of that. And um over time, you know, the 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 market sort of finds, you know, that 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 value um of what the card is. And it seems like uh in this case we have a, a one off sale and it didn't lead to another high price.
0: Yeah, right. And that's the thing too, is that you know, the, the market dictates values. So, you know, when when the spike happened, you know, last March of 2020 with, with cards and Frank Thomas, 1990 Leaf rookies and PSA 10 went from selling for 60 and 70 bucks to $450 plus. I was like floored. And then the question was, why? Almost everyone that gets slabbed is a nine or a 10, you know, like that's a, yeah. cards in great shape out of packs, just centering issues plagued that set. One gentleman said, "You know, you know, his answer was too cheap for too long." I was like, "That's impossible. The market, the market dictates the value. It's not too cheap for too long. It was the market's value for as long as it was. Now the market's willing to pay more because, you know, the circumstances have changed. And so, but circumstances are also not permanent; they're temporary. So once the the, the market corrects, you know, we'll see a new high. But I don't think we're going to see this." St- like $700 sale prices for a car that consistently brings in high grades when slabbed. I just thought that that was an, an imperfect, an answer to this question. Like what, what's the cause from going to $70 to $450 to $500 for this, the same card, not a rare card. this particular Pujols card, a little different scenario. We've got a lower print run, rarer, second year Pujols, All-star rookie. I mean, there's a lot going for it. He's not yet in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, he's poised to be there on first pass. So it's got a lot going for him. Do I think it's $25,000? No. Do I think it at some point might be $25,000? Maybe in like 50 years when this stuff is impossible to find, you know, and this stuff is classic vintage category. And Mm so, I mean, I I just don't think we're there yet. That's all I'm saying. So I want to touch on that. This is cool. We get to touch about the second Albert Pujols black refractor kind of a follow-up. So uh, thank you for joining me, Brian Hayes, for this. Do you have any final thoughts?
1: Uh, nope. I think we we covered it. Uh, once again, just uh, a real interesting uh, conversation tonight. Glad, like, glad
0: I could be here. Awesome. Thank you for tuning into the Radicards podcast and radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Reno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.